Lord willing, we'll look at verse 10 through 12 today. We've really established already in our first four studies that uh, Peter is writing first and foremost to a group that is just being greatly, greatly persecuted. Now, praise God, all of God's word is for his people, for those that love him and, and all of these things for us. But just knowing the context of things just helps us so much in deepening our understanding and what the Lord has for us. And remember, this is a people that has been, they've been dispersed. Uh, he's writing to Christians that had been in Rome that had been under a great persecution from Caesar Nero. We know that he burnt Rome down and he needed a scapegoat, so he blamed the Christians. And we talked about just the depths of the persecutions they were going through, that they were crucifying Christians. They were Christians being burned alive, others being fed to beasts and so forth. And it caused a great number of them to be dispersed to leave Rome there. Many of them had settled there in the churches that Paul had established in Asia Minor. And so Peter's writing to them to give them instruction, to give them encouragement, to give them hope in the midst of, as he called last week in our text, a great fiery trial. And we've talked about that in our lives, trials and tribulations and so forth. Uh, things that we are really promised to go through. The Lord said in the world, we will have tribulation. We've read many times in the scripture where it says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's spiritual trials, there's physical trials. You know, there's the burdens that we have for those that don't know the Lord. Uh, some of those can be the greatest trials and so forth. All kinds of trials, loss of loved ones and physical ailments at times and so forth. But we get the assurance that when Jesus is our Lord and Savior, He's working all those things for good. Working a good work in us, growing us, maturing us, giving us a greater understanding of who He is. Sometimes He brings trials to correct us, to get us back on track. Other times trials to help perfect us practically. Well, in the midst of all of this, we've seen Peter already point them to the living hope we have in Jesus Christ. He's pointed them to an inheritance that we have that's uncorrupted, reserved for us in heaven, kept by the power of God through faith. Great encouragements that he's giving to him. He's talked about the joy of the Lord that we have that's just, you know, unspeakable and full of glory. We talked about that, that springing up of hope and joy that we have in Christ, even in the midst of great tribulations and persecutions like they were going through. And now this morning we see Peter, again, in the midst of all of these things, showing them the greatness of their salvation. And we want to get this in our hearts this morning, the greatness of our salvation. And really what he does is he shows them how the Old Testament prophets, they longed for and they were searching and inquiring the time of the coming Savior. We'll see this morning that really after Genesis 3, when man falls, the word of God, the Old Testament, it all revolves around one thing, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of Messiah. He'll talk about how they long for and look, but they never obtained the promise while their time here on earth, but they're prophesying again of his suffering, of the glories that would follow were written so that we would know that Jesus indeed is Lord and that we've become partakers of that new covenant. They never saw that come to fruition, 
though absolutely their hope came to fruition in Christ's coming, they had seen it, we have it, and we rejoice in our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He even talks about how these are things that even angels that see so much and know so much desire to look into. It's a mystery to them because what we have in the Lord, our relationship with the Lord is even above their relationship with the Lord. And so Peter really wanting them to grasp this, to understand this, to encourage them of the great treasure they have in the salvation of their soul and absolutely to equip them even all the more to share the gospel with those around them. And this morning, really, this message is a message of hope, a message of encouragement, but it's also an equipping message. And this is one of these passages this morning. You know, we give you guys notes every week, and uh, we read some of those verses in those notes. Some we just refer to, some because of time restraints. Sometimes I, I won't even get to, but you'll understand there in the context and the order while they are there. And I'm really hoping, you know, this message this morning, these are notes that you take and you put somewhere and you have them as a reference. Because I really think that this passage this morning will help us more fully understand the gospel message as well as fulfill prophecy that brings validity to the gospel message. Jesus didn't just show up and say, hey guys, I'm Messiah. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies, and the odds of that are just astronomical of anybody doing that. It shows us that indeed God knows the end from the beginning. So we're hoping to get more equipped in sharing our faith, as well as do these things for our faith to abound all the more. We know faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And it's important that we're a people that not only have faith in Jesus and what he's done, but our faith in the Lord is growing. Listen, a passage that's been on my heart so much is out of Hebrews 11. It says, we must believe that he is God and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we want to be abounding in the faith that he is God. And we want to abound in believing that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And listen, when you believe that, it's going to be evidence in that you diligently seek him. And so we want to believe him and receive that and abound in that. And so again, the scriptures are key in building our faith. And I think this passage is a phenomenal passage that does that. Let's read verse 10 down through verse 12. And then we'll dive into this and just go through it a little bit at a time here. And hopefully leave here just more edified and equipped in the Lord. He says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, though those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. So notice how he starts this. He says, of this salvation. And so we should ask the question, of what salvation? And indeed, it's the salvation of our souls. And again, he's playing this on, you're in a great fiery trial. You've been dispersed, 
But listen, rejoice in the salvation of your souls. Look at the verses right before this that we looked at last week, just by reminder for us. There in 1 Peter 1, 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice, notice, with joy inexpressible and full of glory, and then notice what he points them to, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So again, we can't emphasize this enough. They've been dispersed. They're under a great fiery trial. I mean, great difficulties that few have even faced in the history of the world. And yet he says, even in this, because you believe. And these trials are showing the genuineness of your faith. You can rejoice. Rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible. We even saw that word joy. It means to leap for joy. Can you imagine leaping for joy, having been driven out of your home, your your homeland, leaving all behind, but rejoicing with a joy that is a wellspringing coming out of you because you know that you are saved. You know that our time here is short. The day is going to come when we take our last breath, but I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. I will not spend eternity under his wrath because of my sin, but I've been washed. I've been forgiven. I've been made right with God Almighty, and I have salvation. Listen, that's something that we should rejoice in every day as followers of the Lord. And again, this salvation, this salvation was absolutely obtained because of the genuineness of their faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about the gospel here and the again the 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 obtaining of salvation and the believing of the gospel. And for some of you, you're familiar with these verses. I'm hoping though, though that it's a refreshing, it's an encouragement. And to others that are unfamiliar with these things, that this will be something that even all the more opens up their understanding to the greatness of our salvation. Now again, Ephesians 2.8, we looked at this many times. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Notice, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that's something to celebrate this morning. I didn't obtain my salvation through my doing, through my working. Absolutely, even if I try to work for my salvation, you know what I do? I just obtain more debt. Our salvation is given to us by grace. It's a free gift from God through faith, through recognizing I am a sinner. I've transgressed God's law. But Jesus lived a sinless life. He went to the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. Listen, God runs balanced books. And if there's a debt, that debt has to be paid. God deals with real math. He's not into the common course of. He deals with real math. And our debt had to be wiped clean. Jesus is the debt wiper cleaner, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, what was required of us, a sinless life. Jesus lived that sinless life. And we went to the cross of Calvary. Remember, the wages of our sin is death. We'll get more into that in a minute, where that came from. He died for us. And then he defeated death when he rose from the grave so that through faith in him, we receive the gift of salvation. 
Boy, what an, it's, it's the greatest gift ever, and it's the most important thing for every single soul on the face of this earth. We know from there in verse 10 it says, We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, born again in Christ Jesus, or we're a new creation in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we get saved by grace through faith, and then God says, Now I have a call on your life to come and walk with me, to be about my business. He gives us gifts. He gives us His Word. He gives us a prayer closet. He gives us a relationship with Him. And we want to be found of people walking with the Lord and abounding in the Lord. John 3.16 says the same thing with more details. It says, For God so loved the world, and remember, He loved us when we were in rebellion against Him, that He gave His only begotten Son in the notice that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no partiality with the Lord. He calls all to himself. He's calling all to repentance, calling all to faith in him. It goes on there to say in verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. Do you believe in him this morning? Can you say amen to that? You're not condemned. But notice what he says next. But he who does not believe is condemned already. He's already condemned. Again, It's not even a thing that we need to go around judging the world. Oh, I'm condemning you. The world's already condemned. They're already under a wrath. But that can be lifted through what? Faith in Jesus Christ, the one who paid the penalty of our sin. And again, he's telling them, rejoice in this. Celebrate this, the salvation of your souls. Just a few more thoughts on this that just, you know what? brings even more weight to these things. First of all, again, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. I hope that no one's confused about that this morning. We've all told lies. We've all lusted. We've coveted things. We've dishonored our elders, so on and so forth. We grossly fall short of the glory of God. Again, the wage of that sin is death. It's a separation from God. But again, notice Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life. And then notice, in Christ Jesus our Lord faith in the Lord, trust in the Lord. We see in Ephesians 1, 7, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. We see in John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Do you believe in the Son? Everlasting life. And then notice the word of God puts this very clearly. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Those aren't Pastor Pastor Steve's words. Those are the words of God. That if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in your sin. God's wrath abides on you. And if you die in your sin, there's a place that Christ calls hell. The word of God calls hell. It was created for the devil and his angels when they rebelled. When man rebelled, he became subjected to that himself. But praise God, Jesus made the way of escape through faith in him so that our debt can be paid. Again, no one understand. God's not bringing rebellion into heaven. Heaven's not going to be fallen earth 2.0. It's going to be sin free. It's going to be tear free. It's going to be free of war and abuse and disease and sufferings that came when man sinned in the garden. We'll get to that here in a second. Again, notice Ephesians 2.1. These are things to rejoice in. And he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. This is part of the salvation. We were dead. We had no way of saving ourselves, but now we're alive in Christ. He says, in what you once walked according to the course of the world, 
according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. That's where we were, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We're not called to be a people that walk after the lust of our flesh. He says, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and the mind. That's where we were. We just did what we wanted to do. We did what was right in our own eyes. If my flesh lusted it, I went after that. But now, again, we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But now we're sons and daughters of the living God. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then notice Colossians 1.13. It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. We need to know who we are in the Lord and abound in who we are in the Lord. And as we've been emphasizing greatly, even in this epistle so far, and has come up many times in our study in Joshua on Wednesday night, listen, joy is found in walking with the Lord, abiding in the Lord, and walking in obedience to the Lord. Satan loves to dangle out, hey, pursue your flesh, Find a loophole in the scripture to come and pursue hedonism and fleshly things and you'll find joy. Those things bring a temporary pleasure, but the end of those things is death. God's word is a lamp unto our path, a light unto our feet, and absolutely is there to bring us into abundance of life found and abiding in Jesus Christ. And listen, all these things, it's no small matter. This isn't a small matter. Sometimes people say, oh, Steve, you get up there and you got a passion and a fire and a zeal. Why? Because it's no small matter is why. Souls hang in the balance. Listen, for many people, this is a small matter. They don't even care. They don't even concern themselves with their soul. But the day's going to come when this will be the greatest matter ever. Imagine dying in your sins. Imagine if, you know what? You don't know the Lord, and this afternoon you take your last breath and you've rejected Christ. And let me tell you, the Lord is faithful to give everyone those opportunities. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Those even in places where the gospel's not readily as available, He convicts them, and every time God will be faithful to get the gospel message to them. We see that throughout Acts. We see that throughout the Scripture. But imagine not knowing the Lord and taking your last breath. I think at that point you're going to be incredibly concerned about your soul. Imagine being ushered into an eternity in hell without the Lord Jesus Christ. This should stir our hearts to want to get the gospel out to the world around us. Let me tell you this need for salvation. We're familiar with this, but I want to go over it again this morning. I'm not going to read all the text there in Genesis, but I'm going to refer to it. This all started back in the garden. We know that God created man formed him out of the dust of the earth, breathed life into him, formed woman from a rib out of his side to be a helper comparable to him. We know they were without sin. We know that absolutely they had a perfect relationship with God, with one another. God gave them one commandment. God gave them one warning. Look at God gave them incredible freedom, but there was just one thing. He said there in Genesis 2 16 of every tree of the garden you may freely eat 
So look, at this is all here for you to partake of, this place of paradise. You can choose. I want to eat from this tree. No, I want to eat from that tree. A little of this. I'm going to mix it together. He says you can freely eat. You got freedom in this. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The word die there means to be separated. He was speaking of a physical death coming in, as well as a separation from God Almighty. Separation from relationship with God Almighty. And we know how the account unfolded there in Genesis 3.1. We will read this together to verse 6. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said? And listen, whenever God's word is attacked, when God's word is, you know what, opposed, when even those in Christendom want to mix their opinion with God's word, putting more of an emphasis on their opinion than God's word. We're going to get to that in a second. You can know immediately where that comes from, not the heart and mind of God. That comes from the heart and mind of Satan himself. Has God indeed said, you shall eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it. We never read him saying that, but you start having conversation with the devil and he adds and takes away from God's word. And it's easy to start doing that as well in that conversation. You shall not touch it lest you die. And then notice, and we talk about this often, Satan villainizes God. The serpent said to the woman, you you, uh, you, will surely not, you will not surely die, for God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Again, he's trying to villainize a God. God's trying to take away your good time. God's not protecting you. God's just jealous and fearful that you're going to be like him. And instead of taking that thought captive and said, no, God said, the day if I eat of it, I'm going to die. Get out of here. I rebuke you. She rolled with it. So the woman saw the tree was good for food, was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And we read immediately after that in verse 7, they knew they were naked. They saw their shame, and they tried to cover themselves. But we can't cover our sins. Our works cannot cover our sins. And then they went and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, and you cannot hide from the presence of God the Lord. You can go to the ends of the earth. You can go up to the North Pole, Antarctica, wherever. You cannot hide from the presence of the Lord. And then when God began to question them as he pursued them, praise God that he pursued them, they immediately began to blame shift. You know, Adam says, it's the wife that you made. And then she says, no, it's not me. It's the, it's the serpent. It was the birth of modern psychology. You know, it's not my fault. <laughs> I'm good. It's not me. We laugh, but that's the basis of that. You're inherently good, and everything that you did wrong is pretty much the product of what people have done to you. That's not scriptural. Now, those things can affect us, but we're a room of sinners here. And yes, there's times we need to forgive people that do things to us. But none of us can stand on our own merit before God. We're transgressors of his law. Horrible, horrible what has taken place at this point. Again, we know that as the eighth, a, a death came in. 
physical death set in, a curse set in on the earth. But praise God, praise God, he would give a promise. He would tell man, you're going to earn your keep by the sweat of your brow. He would tell the woman, your pain will be greatly multiplied. You know what? When you give birth, he would tell man, you, you are dust and to the dust you shall return. A physical death has set in. And we read in Romans 5.12 that this death has spread to all mankind because we are all sinners. But praise God, in the midst of all of that, God gave hope. And this will bring us back here to our text. God gave hope. God promised a way of salvation through the one who was to come. He gave prophetic utterance. It's the first prophetic utterance that we read in the scriptures. He says in Genesis 3.15, he's speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Incredible amount of prophecy right there. First of all, he talks about this seed war between Satan and the woman. And we know throughout the Old Testament, we'll get into this, touch on this here in a minute, that God gave promise through certain genealogies that the Savior would come. Eventually, it'd be through the nation of Israel. And Satan, with all his might, tried to destroy Israel so the Savior could not come. There was enmity. There was war between the two of them. He prophesies here, though, that the Savior will come through the seed of the woman. Why? Because men are sinners and sinners create little sinners. Has anyone noticed that? So God Almighty would overshadow a virgin so Christ could come without a sin nature. He could come and absolutely through a virgin, the Son of God would come into the earth and indeed He would be bruised there on the cross, but He would atone for our sins at the cross of Calvary that by grace through faith in Him, we could receive the salvation of our souls. And listen, from that time forward, from that time forward, men began to look for the Savior. They had faith in the Savior. That's how they were saved. They weren't saved in the Old Testament through their doing. They were saved through their looking for the Savior to come. We read about Abraham in Romans 4, 3, as we're being taught again about salvation by grace through faith. It says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And you go back to the text there in Genesis 15, 6. It says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. They weren't saved through their doing. And there was a lot of doing that they had to do, right? I mean, you, you get into some of these books and you're like, oh my goodness, thank God for the grace of God. But listen, that doing was just to be evidence of their faith. They were saved through the Lord who was to come. And listen, there was a lot of Jews that went through all of that stuff, but they never really believed. And there were other Gentiles that were, you know, separated from some of those things, but they had faith in the Lord to come, and they were saved through faith in the Lord. You think of a Rahab, a Ruth, a Nahum, and others. And today, listen, we are, we are saved through faith in the Lord who has come. That's what saves us. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, it's true if you have faith, there should be some evidences of that. There should be, you know what, a change in our life. Evidence that we believe in the Lord, even as we read there in James 2.20. Oh, foolish man, don't you know that faith without works is dead? And be leery of those that would peddle an easy believism. Those that would say, listen, it doesn't matter how you're living life or what's in your life whatsoever. If you said that prayer at any time in your life, you're saved. There's some that peddle that and preach that. That's a false gospel. 
Listen, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be evidence in your life, even if it's evidenced by God chasing you over and over and over again to correct you. There are going to be some evidences there. But boy, that easy believism is very popular. This idea I can say a prayer, then go do as I want to do because I have the grace of God. The Bible says if we take God's grace and use it for lewdness or a license to sin, guess what? We've denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And on top of that, listen, that's not even good news. The Lord has come to save us and then to renew us that we wouldn't live as we lived before. Life is not found living like the world lives. Life is found living as Christ would want you to live. So listen, going back to our text of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. And when that promise was given, immediately men began to look for the coming of the Savior. In Genesis 4, they were looking for the coming of the Savior. In verse 1, it says, Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain and said, I have inquired a man from the Lord. Look, she gave birth to a baby. What's she saying here? She's saying, I've been given a man from the Lord. Is this the Savior? Is this the one that's going to crush the serpent's head? You ever been so wrong about something? (laughs) She's saying this about Cain, you know. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with us. And then as those generations began to add up there, you know, as they began to, to, to head to the Lord having to do a reboot, even in that seed war, because, again, there was a pollution of them as we read angels began to interact with the, the, the daughters of men. It was an attack on the gospel, but there was a, uh, you know, a, a, a line of believers that started through Seth after Cain slew his brother Abel. And you follow that down and we read a man named Lamech. And he had a hope that perhaps his son Noah would be that savior. It says he called his name Noah saying, This is the one who will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Listen, he wasn't the savior. He was a type of the savior though. He provided a vessel as he was led by the Father to make a way of salvation for any and all who would put their faith in the Lord. Sadly, only eight were on that ark. Only eight believed. And then we read after the flood, God would call a man named Abram from the Ur of the Chaldeans. And he would call him out of idolatry. He'd call him out east of the Jordan to become a follower of the Lord. And he says, listen, through you I'll make a nation. And Abraham understood that through that nation would become the savior of the world. We know that his wife was barren. We know they didn't have a child till he was 100 and she was a 90. Indeed, it was a miracle of God Almighty. It's amazing. We talked about it on Wednesday night how often God uses old people and young children and babies. (laughs) Interesting, we're living in a culture that wants to get rid of all the old people and all the young babies. Let that never be us. You're like, well, I don't know. Well, as you get older, you'll believe that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And so God gave him this miracle child. And then remember, God told him, take him up to Mount Moriah and, and, and sacrifice him. And Abraham was willing to do that. In fact, he even said to those with him, he says, Listen, we're going up together and we're going to come back together. And some people don't understand. Why would he say that? Because he had an understanding a Savior is going to come. And though his his heel will be bruised, he'll crush that Savior's head. And Abraham thought, is my son Messiah? Again, they didn't have the understanding we have now. There was a lot of prophecies that still had not been 
prophetically given at this point. And he went up and he was willing again to sacrifice his son. Why? Because he was looking for the Savior. Go read Hebrews 11, those patriarchs. They were looking for the Savior at every turn. Where's the Savior? When's the Savior coming? I want to be about the business of God. I want to absolutely look for Him to come. I want to be here when He comes. We know God stopped him. God said, I know your faith. And God said, listen, I, I'm going to provide a, a, a Savior uh, uh, for my... I'm going to provide the Savior. It would be God's only Son Himself. And listen, the whole Old Testament after the fall it revolves around them looking for the Savior. So the prophets have inquired and searched out carefully who prophesied, notice, of the grace that would come to you. We've already spoken of grace. It's a free gift from God. It's unmerited. It's a picture of God's great love for us. We're in rank rebellion against God and God sends His Son to atone for our sins to make the way of salvation for us. That is a picture. That is the picture of of grace and so god began to speak through the prophets he began to give more specifics and details about the savior about his sufferings about his glory and listen god's word brings confirmation that jesus christ is lord because of these prophecies written hundreds of years before christ himself came in 2 Peter 1.19, Peter writes, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. When Christ came, he confirmed the word. He says, What you do well to heed is a light that shines in a dark place. We will do well to heed the word of God that shines in a dark place we're living in. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this verse, that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation Notice, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so Old Testament prophecies, prophecies were written. Great details were written so that when Jesus came, we would know he's the Savior, not just another guy. And to this day, there's people running around saying, I'm the Savior. They ain't fulfilled any prophecies. Their lives aren't marked by Again, a perfect record of sinlessness. They're sinners, they're deceivers, they're self-deceived. But absolutely, Jesus has the confirmation of Scripture that He is the Savior of the world. And listen, in the, Old, or in the New Testament, in the early church, when they would go about preaching, they didn't have the, the compiling of the New Testament. They preached the Old Testament everywhere they went. And listen, this is why in Berea, it says there in Acts 17, 11, they were more fair-minded because they searched the scriptures. Paul came preaching Jesus. They searched the scriptures to see whether those things were so. If he's the Messiah, if Jesus is the Messiah, then this must line up with scripture. And they searched the scriptures. Indeed, they found, yes, it's confirmed. Jesus is the Messiah. Listen, Jesus himself would preach that he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, proving he was the Christ. He could have said, guys, I rose from the dead. What more do you need? I healed the sick. I cast out demons. But no, he stood on the word of God. We got to understand this. God honors his word above his own name. Notice this is after the resurrection. He's speaking to the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 26. He says, Ought not the Christ have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And hear this. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, 
he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus said, we're going to have a Bible study. Jesus just died on the cross, rose from the grave, and he took them to the word of God. We're going to have a Bible study. And I'm going to bring you back to Moses, those first five books, to the prophets. We'll see in a second as well. When he talked to the disciples, he took them through the Psalms to confirm that he's the savior of the world. And Peter's encouraging them in the midst of their persecution. You have this salvation that everyone in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, longed to see. They look for, they look for, they look for it. And yes, you're being heavily persecuted, but you have it. You have Jesus. He has come and he is absolutely your Lord, God, and King. And you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's an encouragement, is it not? And again, Jesus preaches, Jesus preached the Bible. God honors his word above his own name. But sadly, we're living in a day, and this is prophecy as well, where there's a great abandonment of the scriptures. And, and this, this is beginning to spiral out of control in Christianism. Look at the world does what the world does. You know, if you're, oh, I'm holding the world to a high standard. You shouldn't. They're, they're dead in their sins. They need Christ. But you see in the church today, and I probably shouldn't even say that, in Christianity today, a great movement away from the Scripture. We've talked about this a lot. I'm going to deconstruct my faith. In other words, if there's verses I don't like, I'm kicking them out, and I'm going to construct my own faith over here based on my truth. Your truth will not set you free. It's the truth of God that will set you free, and the truth of God is revealed in the Word of God. But notice 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and dead at his appearing in his kingdom. We're being charged. He says, I'm charging you before God. I'm charging you before the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to judge everybody. Notice verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word, the word of God. Be ready in season and out of season. So, listen, there's going to be seasons where Teaching God's word is going to be out of season, but it should never be the case for us. Convince, notice, here's a key word here, rebuke. A lot of people don't want to be rebuked nowadays. A lot of people don't want to open up God's word because they get rebuked by it. But God rebukes to absolutely cut things out to bring forth life. Exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And then notice verse 3. For the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine. Listen, to endure sound doctrine, you need endurance from God. Because if you're going to stand in sound doctrine in this day we're living in, you are going to be misunderstood. You're going to be attacked. There's going to be times when your name is dragged through the mud because you're enduring sound doctrine. So endure sound doctrine. And I've seen many come and go, I don't know their heart, because they did not endure sound doctrine. They wanted there to be compromise. God, quit talking about sin, Steve. You're going to offend somebody. Yeah, but someone might get saved. Amen. That's not very loving, Steve. Is it loving to ignore sin, to let someone stay in their sin and not tell them there's a Savior that will forgive you and absolutely give you a better life in Him? Get out of here with that false teaching. Do you even know the power of christ have you been forgiven where's your walk to even come up with no, such nonsense he says but according to notice their own desires because they have itching ears they'll heap up for themselves teachers and turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables and again 
I don't want to spend much more time on this, but this is just going gangbusters right now. And, and, and you guys know what I've been talking about in the church. And listen, hear me out on this. There, there is a great disservice being done to those who practice the sin of homosexuality. A great disservice being done to them by the church. Because what you see happening is the church, much of Christianum, and it's, it's trickling all into our community here, they're wanting to affirm what they call the LGBTQ. We want to affirm that. It's come out in these past few weeks. Uh, Saddleback Church, uh, Andy Stanley's church there back east in Georgia. These are mega churches. And look, at these aren't just guys. These are churches trying to influence the body of Christ. They have pro-LGBTQ ministries in their church. They have homosexuals on staff. They've raised up ministries to try to encourage people to affirm their kids' homosexuality. And there's a lot of people going along with that because they don't want to lose the favor of their children. They want the favor of their children versus the favor of the Lord. And obviously there's a lack of faith that I'm going to pray for my children. I want to pray that they'll repent and seek after God Almighty. Now listen, don't you dare for a second say, Oh, Steve, look at you. You're gay bashing. Why are you picking on homosexuals? I am picking on the church. I am calling out wolves in sheep's clothing and hirelings that follow such nonsense that follow, again, the, the tickling of the ears, the lust of the flesh, that do not teach the word of God. I have to wonder, are these men saved? Do they even know the saving power of Christ? Do they even know the ability that God has, that God wants to come in and change our life and so forth? And listen, my message is to those in this lifestyle is that absolutely God loves you. Jesus wants to, Jesus died for you. The Lord wants to forgive you. And God wants to do a new work in your life. And absolutely, us in this room can testify of that, can we not? Amen. That he forgave us, that he washed us. He forgave me of my sexual sins and immoral behaviors. And listen, as I begin to follow him, he began to change the desires of my life to want to live for the Lord. And God is able and capable and ready to do such things. And again, as we read here in our text, he says, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. And it's a grace that will wash all of all of their sin, that will bring in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But as we, we read, the Lord says, we have to repent and believe in the gospel. And then there's good news. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Hear this. It says, do not be deceived. A lot of deception. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Can you imagine? And there's churches say, no, no, that's not true. They say, oh, those are the clobber verses. We just use those to pick on people and sin. No. This is the truth of Scripture here. This is outside of God's heart and mind for people. These are destructive lifestyles. But notice verse 11. And such were some of you. Those are glorious words. Do not keep those from your children. Do not keep those words out of your churches. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the Spirit of our God. 
Listen, for some, it might be a lifelong struggle, you know what, to have their minds renewed. But God will be with you every step along the way and claim who you are in Christ Jesus, a new creation. Don't go under those labels that are of the world, the devil, and the flesh. Verse 11, he says, of these prophets, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Listen, I have a lot of notes here for you. I'm going to refer to them right now. Listen, from the garden forward, the men and women of God begin to seek for that Savior to come. They search carefully. And God began to move on prophets, and we have their prophecies recorded in the Scripture. As the Spirit of Christ moved in them, or you could say came upon them, they began to prophesy specifics about the Savior, about His sufferings as well as the glory to come. They spoke of his genealogy, birthplace, the virgin birth, of the time he would come. We read in Genesis and Isaiah, he'd be a descendant of Abraham. Abraham's son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob or Israel. Jacob's son Judah, then he'd be a descendant of Jesse in the line of Judah, then through King David. And you can follow the genealogy from Adam all the way down to Joseph and Mary, though Joseph was not his biological father. So when Christ came, he had to come according to that genealogy. That gets rid of just about, you know, everybody else except for a select few. We read in Isaiah, and these are hundreds of years before. Isaiah 7, 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Just so you know, Emmanuel, Emmanuel means God with us. It doesn't mean God's, you know, created angel with us or the the brother of Lucifer with us, it means God with us. We read of Micah, hundreds of years early, it was prophesied he'd be born of Bethlehem. We're really narrowing the pool way down here. But you, Bethlehem of Ephrath, though you're little among the thousands of Judah, yet yet, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to rule in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So it's a prophecy he'd be born of Bethlehem, and that also he's the everlasting God. And then in Daniel 9, it talks about a period of time from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem that was in ruins. There'd be 483 years, and the end of that 483 years, the Messiah would be cut off. Listen, that happened over 2,000 years ago. Jews are encouraged not to read this chapter because if they read this chapter, they'll recognize, wait a minute, the Messiah has already come. Now, praise God, there's seven years waiting at the end of this age where all Israel will come to salvation. But listen, you wonder, how, the, how do these wise men know? They follow the star. It was more than the star. They were following the scriptures. They understood They understood the timetable of things. They understood the birthplace. These these things came through the knowledge of Daniel who established those wise men when he was there in Persia. Listen, the scripture spoke of his sufferings. It spoke of him coming lowly, riding on a donkey there in Zechariah as he did there on what we call Palm Sunday. He came in humility. It speaks of how he would be forsaken by those close to him, which he was. It speaks of him being sold for 30 pieces of silver, which he was. 
Isaiah 53 speaks of his sufferings. He be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The, chast- the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. And he goes on to prophesy there in that book. He'd be numbered with the transgressors. A sinless Savior numbered with sinners because absolutely he would make intercession for our sins. Go read Psalm 22. You'll be blown away. It speaks of them piercing his hands and his feet. Crucifixion had not been invented yet. He could count all his bones. Listen, a sacrificial lamb had to have all his bones intact. And though they beat him, none of his bones broke. He even prophesied, they prophesied, they'll divide my garments among them for my clothing. They cast lots. That happened at the base of the cross. All of these things came to fruition, to the T, and so much more. But praise God, they also spoke of the glories that would follow after his death. There is Psalm 16, 9, you shall not leave my soul in Sheol. In other words, you'll resurrect Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three, ni- three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then in Psalm 2, it speaks of Christ coming to rule over the nations. We read in Isaiah 9, and this is oftentimes spoken of His first coming, and it is, but it also speaks of His second coming. Of the glories to come. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. In order to establish it with judgment and justice. From this time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform this. There's over five times more prophecies of his second coming than his first. And in his first, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies. I have a website there that you can go to, Got Questions, that lists many of those prophecies fulfilled. And again, Jesus staked his claim of being Savior on the Scriptures. (laughs) He even told them there in Luke 18, before they went to Calvary, Before they went to Jerusalem, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. And like he did with the two on the road to Emmaus, he did that with the disciples. He took them to the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms to show them he is the Messiah. These things are confirmation that God is God, that God's word is holy, and that Jesus is Messiah. As he says there in Isaiah 46.10 of himself, declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done. False gods, demons, devils, idols cannot do that with precise precision being accurate at every single turn. We'll close here on verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So in other words, he says they long to see these things. Listen, their hope was eventually fulfilled, though they went to the grave before their hope was eventually fulfilled. But Peter's encouraging them, though, all of this was done for you. All of this was done for you. They were ministering to you. They were ministering to us, to, so us, so that we could 100% know that Jesus is the Christ. And again, they would preach Jesus 
from the Old Testament before that New Testament was compiled. And guess what? We should be doing that now as well. That's why we're not just, we preach the New Testament church. We preach the Old Testament. We preach the New Testament. We preach all of God's word. So Peter says, this is the gospel that's been preached to you through the Holy Spirit and His power. And this is why, again, as a church, we preach the gospel. And we want to preach it in power. It's the gospel that saves. As Paul said there in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And then finally he says here, these are things that angels desire to look into. Angels see a lot. Angels know a lot. But our relationship with the Lord is mysterious to them. And listen, you need to know that it's different than the relationship they have with the Lord. And you also need to know that our relationship is above theirs. Paul said that we're going to judge the angels. The 70, when they return from you know, their mission trip, there in Luke 10, 17, they said, Lord, even the demons are subjected to us in your name. We have authority over them in your name, these fallen angels. Devil don't want you knowing that. <laughs> See, we need to know again the position and the place and the authority we have in Jesus' name to the glory and honor of God. And P Peter's writing all this to again equip them but also to greatly encourage them. You have obtained everything that all those in that old covenant were looking for and longing for and prophesying concerning. You have that. Rejoice in the midst of your tribulations, trials, and persecutions. God, who has brought this to fruition, will not leave you nor forsake you, but he will see you through. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Indeed, Lord, we praise you, we glorify you, and honor you, God. We just thank you for your person and your great goodness. We thank you for who you are, what you're doing, and everything you've done. We thank you for the prophetic word. Oh, Lord God, I marvel. I marvel, God, at the cohesiveness and the unity and the knitting together of the scriptures. Lord, we thank you that indeed you know the end from the beginning. And when man sinned, you knew. You knew, I'm going to send my son. And you knew every detail, and you wrote many of them down for us, so when he came, we would know that indeed he's the Savior. I pray today, God, I hope and pray our faith has been, Lord, strengthened and deepened and widened, that we become more equipped to go and share the good news with a world that desperately needs Jesus. Let us heed that charge to preach the word knowing we're going to give an account to that. And if we get persecuted for that, let us leap for a joy that we would be counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ and also to know, God, that love is conveyed when truth is shared in a loving manner. Lord, let us be that people. We need endurance in that, Lord. We need strength in that. We need thick skin and a soft heart. Give us that. In the Lord's name. And if you're here today and you haven't called upon Christ, you've heard the good news. You've heard the bad news of sin and wrath. You've heard the good news of Christ's death and resurrection and salvation by grace through faith in Him. If you have not called on the Lord, today is the day of salvation. 
And I cannot encourage you enough to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Even right now. Even as we finish this service up and worship to God. Ask Him to forgive you, to wash you, to be your Lord. Maybe this is an area that you have difficulty with. Ask the Lord to strengthen you in this area. To deepen your faith in Him and His Word and the understanding that we need to love people according to the Scripture, not according to their desires or our desires that gets out of the boundaries of love. Help us in these things, Lord. We thank you, we praise you. Let's worship Him as we close here. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned
Amen? Amen. Well, I pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord, and just pray that you will uh, look to encourage others, build up others, pray with others. Uh, church church uh, ended, but it hasn't ended. So God bless you. <laughs>